0: Hi, I'm referee Mark Frelick, and thanks for joining me today for episode number 54 of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast. My guest today is Keith Moyer of Canfield, Ohio. Born in Syracuse, New York, Keith is the proud father of three. He played Division II college basketball at Lemoyne College and also played four years professionally in Europe. We talk about that a little bit in the beginning of the podcast. Keith has been an official for 19 seasons and has two Final Four State High School tournament assignments in his tool belt and has also worked four years of college basketball. Our major sponsor continues to be PQ2LLC and I thank the company and the owner Matt Kearns for his continued support of the high school basketball referee podcast you can learn more about pq2 llc at pq-2.com and always thank you for taking the time to listen episode number 54 with keith moyer begins in just a few seconds And welcome to another episode of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. Today's guest is uh, Keith Moyer from Canfield, Ohio. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And before we get into our pregame, we are going to take a little break and recognize my uh, sponsor that we have for the podcast, our major sponsor, which is PQ2 LLC. We'll be right back.
2: If your day job requires engineering thermoplastics, connect with PQ2 LLC and have a thorough, candid, and honest pre-game discussion about your next injection molding, extrusion, or blow molded project. Make the right call to PQ2 LLC. That's www.pq-2.com. You can follow or
0: like the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast On both Facebook and Twitter. You'll find all of the episodes, and eventually we're hoping to add some additional content. In the meantime, find the links on the show notes, or you can go ahead and search for the podcast on those social media outlets. And here we are in the pregame section of the podcast. And and as you know, we go through different segments of the podcast, and the first one is the pregame where we get to know our official a little bit that we're speaking to. And uh, Keith, in the in the biography that we just posted, said you were born in New York and now live in Canfield. Um, but w- what's really interesting to me is that you played four years professionally of basketball in Europe. Um, talk to me a little bit about that time.
1: Yeah, it was just a great opportunity, um, really, for me to extend my career playing the sport that, that I grew up with and, and loving and, and then also building camaraderie with with um, teammates that, that are still friends of mine in Europe and being able to spend some time traveling the world. Uh, super fortunate to be able to, to compete um, at, at several different levels over there as my career kind of progressed. And then also, you know, I've, I've been in 30 different countries and there's no way that would have happened. Um, without the opportunity to play over there uh, coming out of college I I played Division two basketball that I started my senior year. I played maybe 10 minutes a game up until that point and and uh, it's fair to say that I was not heavily recruited to go play <laughs> in Europe, but uh, I just sent sent a bunch of resumes out to clubs in Europe not not unlike searching for a job and and got some feedback and ended up sending some films over and it just kind of materialized into into a four-year career over there so man i cherish that and value that um a very
0: large amount yeah that's fantastic i mean talk about perseverance i'm sure that's had to have helped you in your basketball officiating career too right and we'll get then i'm sure we'll get into that later but yeah tell a little bit about how that helped you there and in, in the officiating arena
1: it gave me a whole different perspective on basketball the games played differently over there and it, and it helped me look at it differently, and, and when I transitioned to officiating, which was a couple of years after I got back, um, I, I think that really helped me. Being over there and seeing the game differently, and and seeing the officiating differently, uh, as you know, officiating changes dramatically from 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 you know when you play in middle school up into high JV and and varsity, and then I was fortunate enough to play at a Division two level, which is a pretty good level, and the mm-hmm. officiating was different there, and then. And then going over to Europe, I mean, it was a totally different world. So it kind of stepped along the way. You had to look at the game differently and, and make adjustments and kind of view it through a different lens. And and the biggest adjustment for me was going from a player and, and seeing the game and even watching the game on TV or watching yourself in film from a player's lens to now as an official. And and that extra transition in, in Europe really helped me make that transition more easily when I started to officiate.
0: Why did you take up officiating? Just because I mean you were out of basketball and you wanted to stay on the court? Is that why you took it up?
1: Um I I moved to Ohio from Manhattan. I lived on 52nd and 2nd in midtown Manhattan. I was a pharmaceutical sales rep and I hated that job and I moved here to Ohio to start a landscaping company with a buddy of mine. Yeah. And it was like jumping out of a wind tunnel, um, <laughs> as far as life was concerned. And I was still playing when I was in New York and, and leagues and things like that. And I played some when I was here. But during the winter months, um, I had to fill some time, right? So you can't cut grass or, or put patios in. And, uh, you know, we were plowing snow, but that's really, you know, it's not scheduled or anything. So that, that was one reason to kind of fill some time and to, and to stay active and stay involved with the game. And there are a couple of avenues, right? You can officiate or you can coach. And I had coached um, as a grad assistant at St. Lawrence university in upstate New York. So after I graduated college, I played professionally for two years and then I got greedy and asked for too much money on my contract and nobody <laughs> picked me up. So uh, I took a here off and I coached as a grad assistant and I, I just didn't enjoy that very much. And, um, You know, and I played two more years in Europe. Went to New York, and then came to Ohio. And I had some friends here that had coached uh, a guy that I played with in college. is actually from Boardman, so that's my connection here to to Northeastern Ohio. And um, and I I just decided that I'd rather kind of leave the job at home when I went home and not have to deal with the same parents and the same kids and the same institution over and over again. And I just kind of wanted that piece to be missing from my involvement in basketball. and and it happens to an extent, um, but you develop some relationships along the way that yep. that that lasts as well. And, I, and we'll get into that a little bit later, I think, yeah. with some of the other questions. Right,
0: right. Yeah, and it's, and it, that's great. I mean, there's nothing like being able to pick up a sport that you love and be able to run the floor all the time. And uh, that that's fantastic. And you've had some great success. As a basketball official of, as well, uh, and we talked a little bit about that in in the uh, pre in the uh, introduction with the uh, two times as as a state official. Um, talk a little bit about last year, if you would, because we're still early into our season right now, and uh, talk about some of the things that happened last year. Maybe something that you learned about your officiating career that can help you this year. Oh,
1: so last year I ended up at in uh, a regional in Canton, uh i i thought it was a really good year started to transition um a little bit more in into the collegiate side of it um officiating as well but from from the high school side uh i worked with a couple of guys on a regional crew one that i had worked with a a bunch before on other regional crews and one that i hadn't and um it was a it was a big change this year. A big difference. I think all three of us had pretty strong personalities, and and I voluntarily took um, kind of took a step back on that crew, and and um, played into their styles more than asserting my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that helped us a lot as a crew, and especially in the regional game. One of uh one of my crew members got hurt early in the in the first half and, mm. and we had the alternate step on and it kind of changed the dynamic a lot there, especially with as strong of a personality as he had, um, in officiating style and it totally changed the dynamic. And, and I think it made it easier for the alternate too, to, to kind of jump in there, um, with that perspective that I had. So that, that's something that I learned that it, to make a good crew, sometimes you got to take a step back and, and, to really provide the best result for the kids that are involved in that game. Um, you have to really be able to work as a team or else things can go sideways really fast. And that something that I always kind of knew, but I, I hadn't really taken that approach um, con- consciously before. And, you know, I think that helped us and helped the game in the, in the flow of it for sure. And And I'm going to be more apt to do that in the future as I kind of move through things now that I'm more on the, the back side of my career versus maybe the front or the middle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and talk a little bit, you know, you obviously, again, we go back to 19 years in high school of officiating. Um, tell us a little bit about your pregame, what kind of things you cover and what things you think should be covered in a pregame.
1: Yeah. So it, it's gotten a lot simpler over the years. And, and part of that is because you, you know guys and you've worked with them and, and part of it is you can't really i don't think you can be effective if you have 25 things in your pregame. so you know one thing that i stress is just is just be a great partner and trust each other and then you know you have to communicate and and to take our time and then you know a huge thing for me is just take ownership of your primary and i was very fortunate to kind of the last four or five years to work with a couple of guys um, Jeff Hoover and Jake Sell on a lot of games together, and really, really appreciate people who own their primary and trust your partner. And um, man, no matter what happens in those in the games, if you can do those things, you, you're going to be able to sleep at night with what you've done on the way home in terms of, of of being a quality official and a quality crew. So there's a lot of questions with people that kind of stem from those things in pre games, but. Man, if you can be a great partner and you can communicate and you can own your primary, um, you're going to have a pretty good night.
0: I was talking with Matt Kearns the other day. Matt is, of course, the owner of our major sponsor, PQ2 LLC. And he was reminding me that, and this goes for every official, the importance of all of us to continue recruiting officials, while at the same time, maybe refining ourselves and understanding why we got into officiating. You know, we know part of the reason we officiate is to help that particular official or to be an example for that student athlete, and of course, to continue to build great relationships. That's kind of the theme you'll find with Matt's company, PQ2. It's been around for a while now, and it's always good to be that business which helps a particular client that recruits new players and also helps with clients' particular needs. Learn more about PQ2 and see how they can help you by going to pq-2.com or calling Matt at 330-888-9448. You can become an official podcast supporter of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Frelick by visiting anchor.fm backslash mark-frelick backslash support. Find the support link on the show description of this episode, or on the description of the podcast on the home section of the podcast. Thank you very much. And we enter our first quarter, and the first quarter we're gonna talk about mentoring uh, throughout the questions here. So let's talk a little bit first, before we get into your mentors that you've had, talk about how you progressed and what maybe contributed to your success in officiating.
1: Well, you know, I started out doing 80 to 100 games a season, and, and just every game that I could get, I would do. Um, tons of middle school games and freshman games, and I was working, you know, freshman games at freshman doubleheaders in the Federal League at 10, and, 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and then doing a girls' JV game in the afternoon. And I, I just tried to work as much as I could. Uh, I think repetition and officiating is a is absolutely necessary the more games you can do the earlier on the more stuff you're going to see especially at those levels and it just prepares you to um to kind of move up and not get caught off guard when those things happen when maybe there's some more people in the stands or the games on tv or, or maybe uh, you know it might matter a little bit more um in terms of people winning and losing so you know repetition was a big deal and then it, it gets you out in front of people and you get to work with other people and you get to start to build, build your tool bag you know and and evaluate after every game. Hey, you know, I I saw this person do this thing and I really liked it and I'm going to work on that tomorrow night. Or I saw this person do this thing and I want to make sure I never do that. (laughs) You know, and and you take the good things from your, from your experiences and try to replicate those in, in your, you know, in your practice. And then he makes sure you don't replicate the things that, that aren't so good. And, uh, i caught a break i think my second year a uh a varsity official didn't show up for a game and I and i remember it It was wilson against rayon and uh you know the varsity crew they they got some options at that point they can decide to do a two-man game or decide to to take one of the jv guys and and they they took me and wilson and Ryan, you know that was an inner city battle in youngstown but the, the schools don't even exist anymore hmm. um but that was a old school rivalry and a, and a really tight gym with a really raucous atmosphere and and I had had a pretty good JV game and, and, uh, you know, the, those two guys asked me to work with them and, and that was my first varsity game and, um, it went really well, you know, it went really, really well. And, you know, year three started to do some varsity games and, and then kind of transitioned through the next year and a half or so out of the the lower, the lower league stuff. And, it, and then in the varsity and then, uh, you know, John Meng was huge for me. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, an assigner in this area and at that point in time he had the federal League and um, really helped develop me as an official by by sending me to do federal League games in Canton some some of the bigger schools over there, Mass Jackson, Clanton, Gr- Ken, Canton Glen Oak, uh, North Canton Hoover with with experienced officials from this area who you know valued, up-and-coming officials and and things like that so that was uh pretty instrumental in my development and and got me way ahead of of where i would have been otherwise
0: yeah talk a little bit about some of those mentors that you had um, some of those experienced officials that you were able to work with and and what specific things did they do to help your development
1: wow so you know jeff hoover and jake sell i mentioned those names but those two guys um were mentors for me and there was a lot of people who thought or who wanted to be or who tried to be and claimed to be mentors I guess and, and those two guys were true mentors and and not only on the court stuff I mean I remember a call that at Warren Harding that I made it was the play was going away from me the ball handler had the ball and it was Warren Harding against Ignatius it was early in my career um and the ball kind of got loose and it felt like and it looked like a double dribble to me and I hit my whistle and I was ready to to make the call, and then the ball's kind of just squibbling around on the ground. And I was watching the play, and I looked over at Jeff, and he's like just nodding his head. And I just made the call, and and <laughs> sold it, and went on. And he kind of handled the coach for me. And and then when we got in at in a halftime, we you know we had a pretty good discussion about it, and some candid feedback on that result. And I I knew it was coming, right? So there's there's really three big components on that that one play from that one guy, and that was just like. First of all, you gotta sell your calls. You made a call, you gotta sell it, and you gotta live with that. And then, secondly, he really helped out with the coach from Ignatius, who was really not happy at all with that call. (laughs) And then, some accountability in the locker room at halftime, saying, "Hey, man, you gotta be better than that," and and you gotta understand, you know, some some pretty basic concepts that that you can't falter on. And you know, if the play is going away from you and you can't see it, you know, I hear all the time, if it's going away from you, stay away from it and don't make it up. Right and yeah. and I, I breached both those topics on one really bad whistle, and just really lucky that was in like the first three minutes of the game and not the last three minutes because by the time we got midway through the second half, everybody had forgotten that play, except for me, but it it didn't play into the result in anybody's mind, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a great lesson there. I mean, for a lot of younger officials that listen to this, I think there's a great lesson there, and even the, the veterans that you're gonna have somebody that's going to be very firm with you in one of the things that that happens throughout the game but as a young official take that um, take that advice even though it was firm and make it um, make yourself better through that and you were able to do that and uh, I think that's I think that's great uh, from your standpoint to be able to take that and make yourself better you know throughout our when we do officiate we receive, some advice uh, from advice from officials that uh, might not be such great advice, and and you had mentioned about uh, you know some guys that that said they're mentors, but really uh, you you had a couple there that were really good mentors. Talk about um, some of the good advice you received, and and how can officials discern what's good advice and what's not so good advice?
1: Yeah, so i I feel like when you're talking to a person who it may seem like they're trying to help you out or give you advice if their sentences are starting with the word i repeatedly then they're probably not really they don't have your best interests in in their heart right Mm -hmm. so there's a difference between talking through situations and then just talking about yourself and trying to press yourself upon somebody else and as officials you know we have a we have strict mechanics and the rules are the rules and those type of things, but you get to, every official is different and every crew is different and every game is different. And you have the opportunity to, you know, develop your style of officiating and, and then be evaluated on that and you can change it as you, as it works for you and, and where you want to get to, it's totally up to you on that. And, and I just, I've never heard any good advice from somebody who said, I, 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 right. Those conversations go a lot differently. And, um, that, that's really a big, a big point for me.
0: So in your mind, what makes a good mentor then? Uh, what, what's, what's a person that can come out and be, uh, somebody who makes a difference in another official's, uh, body of work.
1: Yeah. So they have to be unselfish and they have to be available and they have to be credible right? Those three things. And, and when I say available, like in that instance I just talked about, Jeff was available for me during the game. He was available for me at halftime and then in and, and other situations, you know, where, where I might have not felt good about a call I've made or a game I had or this situation or that, I, I can reach out to him anytime. And, and I try hard to let the night go and sleep on it and let the kind of the emotion fizzle away and and try to look at it more objectively the next day before i call him or before i call jake but i am constantly calling those guys and saying hey here's the situation what do you think and then here's what we did what do you think and how could we have done that better you know those situations and and those guys have credibility with me because i saw them in games when i was a jv official and and i saw them like i always stuck around and this is kind of a lost art for people i think but the as a JV official, I used to always stay around. You know, it was an anomaly if I didn't stick around until halftime. And mm-hmm. when there was somebody out there that that I felt I could learn from or somebody that I liked to watch or I wanted to emulate, I stayed for the whole game. Yep. And, and you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that with my schedule and, and lack of family at the time. But I spent a lot of time watching other officials. And, and, and those two guys and some other guys, you know, had credibility be, they, that they earned from what they were doing not from what they were saying right so and then they gave back to me because they wanted me to be good and they wanted the officials in the area to be good so that we you know they took a lot of pride in their craft and a lot of pride in this area as officials so you know those three things you gotta you gotta have credibility um, you gotta be unselfish and 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 then you gotta be available right
2: rule one section a article three And the Project Management Rulebook says trusting your business partner gives you the best chance to launch your new plastics project application. Make PQ2 LLC part of your crew on your next thermoplastic resin application. Call 330-888-9448 and ask for our in-house basketball official and owner, Matt Kearns.
0: We begin our second quarter. We are going to talk about coaches and communicating with some of those coaches. Um, Keith, what is your philosophy then on handling coaches throughout the game? Do you speak with them at all? A casual conversation? Or do you just do strictly business?
1: Yeah, so my point of view has changed on this dramatically over the years. And if, if I go into a game where I don't know the coaches at all, then it's it, there's a nice greeting at the beginning. And then I try not to communicate. Um, unless unless they want to communicate. And when they want to communicate, you know it. And, you know, I respond to questions, not statements. Um, I, I really don't like to call technical files. I, I handle my business when I need to. And, and it happens, right? But I, I really try to diffuse situations. And I, I try not to get into situations unless I absolutely have to or somebody on my team needs on my crew needs help um and and i know i've been in places where i've needed help before and there's nothing wrong with that you know absolutely nothing wrong with that but with coaches i don't know i, I try to keep it as business as po- as much business as possible now over time you know almost 20 years now i've developed relationships with coaches in the area you know and outside the area and and with those coaches you know you see them in the community. Um, I have kids now that I send to camps, they, they, they see, and they, they get to know more about you than just as an official. And, and I have conversations with those, those people without question, you know, before the game, you know, during the game, um, and it, it hasn't gotten me in trouble to this point. It hasn't. And, and I like that part of it. Um, I think the camaraderie piece was much stronger. In officiating, when I started, than it is now, and I miss that about officiating, a lot. And it it only got amplified with the pandemic. But before the pandemic, it was even, even a lot less than it was 20 years ago. So, um, and, and part of that are, are the coaches, these long-term coaches that know basketball and that know officials and that that care enough to check the card or the lineup of officials before the game. I mean, they there's officials that know there's i mean there's coaches that know who their officials are for the next month you know and and some of those guys game plan accordingly i mean it's gotten to that point so um and i enjoy that piece you know i I really do i enjoy the camaraderie piece so i mean it's not a 15 minute situation where i'm sitting at halftime of the jv game in the bleachers talking to a coach that never happens but you know hey hey coach it's, it's nice to see you how you been you know how's your boy doing great you know and then and then we move through the game and it's a little bit different than working for somebody that that you don't know at all
0: how do you handle a coach that you know really well and um you know he can be a little bit fiery and you want to be able to calm him down a little bit but uh, again you're you're friends with him so to speak you've he's been around for a while he's been pretty fiery but you want to be able to get your point across to him um it, it does that friendship matter uh, at that point or do we just got to make it you know this is the for the betterment of the game we're going to take care of him
1: No it doesn't and 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 it doesn't matter at that point yep. um it's not okay to get away with something more because you have a history of being animated or or events right so and, and I say that in in a pregame you know you know I've known this coach for 15 years I think he's a pretty good coach if he you know if he or she does something that warrants a technical foul we're gonna we're gonna administer that as such and at that point you know i don't say we throw friendships out the window but it gives us something to laugh about two weeks or four weeks later the next time we run into each other
0: yeah yeah, yeah no doubt um any any um, <laughs> any memorable tease that you have that you care to share with the group
1: yeah so <laughs> there was uh I was at I was doing a game at Borman. It was Borman and Canfield. It was a girls' game, and two 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 coaches are extremely knowledgeable about basketball. Ron Michelle and Coach uh, Pat Pevalensky, and they both had Division One players at the time. Uh, I think One was going to Pittsburgh, and one Michigan State, one Ohio State. So it was a pretty high level game, and and I knew those guys pretty well. They they were actually very instrumental in in getting me to doing those games at that level that early in my career. And they had seen me do JV games, seen me do boys' games, and had talked to the assigners and say, hey, we'll take Keith any day of the week. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I'm on that game maybe a little bit ahead of schedule, and we're shooting a free throw. And Coach Michelle is really irate at the call. And at that time, we were still table side, and I hadn't made the call. So I think there was maybe an official from Canton who he didn't recognize. And we go to the free throw line. It was a three-point. It was a three point shot. And he starts screaming during the first shot. He's like, Keith, 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 can you believe that call? Keith, you got to talk to that guy. Keith, you got to talk to me. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and the gym is just packed. You know what I mean? It's absolutely packed. So, first shot goes up, and I walk over and I switch spots with the referee who had made the call. And I just walked down to the coach, and I, I stood right next to him. I covered my mouth and I said, hey, hey, coach. He's like, yeah. And I'm whispering, so now he's whispering, so it's way better. And I said, you can't call my name out like you're my my uncle. Like, you got this whole gym believing that that you and I are related. And I said, Coach Pavlansky, and this is another part I should have mentioned, I had already given a technical to Coach Pavlansky in the, in the early in the game because he, he had come unglued at a call and taken his jacket off and thrown it, and the, the official who made the call didn't see it, so I come across – giving him a technical. So now he's sitting down and he's like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> right. I could just feel feel him boiling. You know what I mean? So I'm telling him, he's like, okay, Keith, I won't do it. I, I won't do it. And he's like, okay, thanks. I go, well, I'm not done. I'm not done. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, after she shoots her third shot, I'm going to have to give you a technical foul. <laughs> and he's like, are you are you serious? And I, I go, yeah. I go, yeah, I am. I'm going to have to give you a technical foul and I'm going to have to ask you to sit down and it's just because you just said my name as loud as you could seven times in a row during a free throw. And he's like, wow, I don't think I've ever gotten a tentacle for that. And I said, well, you, you're going to get one here in about four seconds. So don't come on glue because I'll throw you out if I have to. He's like, okay, okay. I'm going to sit down right now. So then, you know, Pavlansky stands up cause I'm walking away, walking towards the score table and the free throw is still being shot. And he's like, Keith, I said, coach, just relax. sit down, trust me. He's like, Oh, well, okay and a free throw goes in and i turn around and and ron and michelle he's already sitting down and i get the tentacle fall and the whole stance goes crazy because it's like three minutes later it seems like right from when he was animated and yelling and screaming and now he's sitting down like a gentleman and i but i stick him so it was a really funny story it was funny as it as it kind of developed and uh i don't know it still makes me laugh
0: Oh, that's you know that's good. That's good they didn't come unglued. I mean, either one of them. So that's good. Well, the other one did yeah. already. So it's good that they uh, they were able to take it. And that's uh, that. I guess that's the respect that you have, maybe right? Yeah, and it, and,
1: and I, you just tell them it's coming. You know, you prepare for that on the front side, and 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 I think you're better off when when coaches know what to expect. You know, he, I, I wasn't. It was clear that I wasn't joking around. He knew what the end result was going to be, and the game ended up being really good because now these two guys are just focused on coaching their high-level game and their high-level teams you know what i mean and they they couldn't talk to us the rest of the night and it ended up being a really really good game and i don't remember who won it i think it might have went to overtime but they that the whole jockeying for the officials that thing stopped in the middle of the second quarter and it made our job a hell of a lot easier i can tell you that I almost think sometimes we should just start out with technical
0: fouls. <laughs> there you just go. Just <laughs> offset and sit everybody down and
1: let, just let the coaches coach. You know, everybody says that, but it never happens.
0: <laughs> All right, with that, let's take a quick break uh, for halftime. When we come back, we're going to go to the third and fourth quarters, followed by the post game and the lighthearted five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Exponential results. Longtime Ohio high school basketball official Matt Kearns is owner of PQ2. And engineering thermal plastics for virtually any engineered application is their expertise. They will help you source the right material for every application, including UL listed, FDA and NSF approved resins. Matt and his team are proud of their best-in-class domestic and international supply relationships. When you need specialty resins, They deliver branded, prime, certified materials from the producer. The industry has changed over the years, but one thing has not, and that's PQ-2's attention to detail, the quality of their products, and the care for those who use their products. Become better acquainted with PQ-2 after browsing through their website at pq-2.com and then let them know how they can provide a tailored solution for you. Our third quarter begins and we talk about, this is relatively a new segment. Uh, We started it last time we had uh, a guest on the show. We're going to do it again this week. And it's uh, called Officials Dealing with Officials. And uh, I think that's a topic that we do need to cover because uh, sometimes that can be a sour point uh, throughout the season. But um, Keith, say you get into a game, you've got two officials that you're not familiar with. Uh, what are you gonna do when you arrive at that facility to make the next couple of hours comfortable
1: yeah so you know I greet them and, and treat them with respect ask them where they're from you know let them know that that I'm a person too um try to get their background and and uh, let them take the lead if they want it um I, I don't go outside the the assignments, like when I'm assigned the referee, I, I'm the referee. When I'm assigned the U one, I, I take that position on the court. Um, but there are ways to, you know, to let people take leads and conversations, and and I do a lot of listening. Um, and I I just know how different all officials are, and and to have a game and to have flow, to have any chance at that, you have to have consistency. So, you know, I just I always make the comment that my first call is going to be a really good one. It's going to be in my primary and it's going to be one that the whole gym um, knows. And and then I play off of the calls that the other two officials make at that point, um, because I think that consistency in a game is more important than Refereeing the way that I want to, or or anything else. I think if you get into a situation where you know you're inconsistent, then you're looking at each other, and and there's judgments going on, and the coaches just go bonkers, and the, and the players don't know what to do either. Um, so you know that that's you know great people, treat them with respect, uh, make sure there's dialogue going in all directions, and then do whatever it takes. Um, for the most part, to main, maintain consistency in our calls uh, with similar plays, with regards to both teams, um, as the as the action develops.
0: Have you ever had a situation that <laughs> you and maybe another official have words, or or just don't get along that well, or or maybe you've seen that happen before with other two other officials at your game, and without mentioning any names, of course, um, talk about what what happened and, and how the our listening officials maybe can learn about how to deal with similar situations like that.
1: Yeah. So oh, this, this memory will never leave my, my brain. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I was working a game in Canton. It was a girl's game. It was North Canton, Hoover and Glen Oak. Uh, it was a girl's game and we had 11 double whistles and I was with a guy, I knew both, I knew both officials. And, and one of them was a the guy I work with all the time. And one was a guy I don't work with very often. And the guy that I know, we had zero double whistles between us. And with the other official, you know, he had 11 with myself or the other guy. So he was involved in all 11. And to an extent, there's really nothing wrong with double whistles unless they're bad double whistles, right? So, you know, you're going to have some throughout the game, but one of the ways that I evaluate myself at the end of the game is, man, how many times did I have a double whistle with somebody? And, and that means um, I, I can learn a lot about how I performed, you know, were those double whistles in my primary, were they in, a, in kind of an overlap You know, were they good double whistles? Were they bad double whistles? Did I have the second whistle? Should I have waited longer with my cadence whistle? All those types of things. Anyway, we had 11 double whistles in the first half of a well contested game. And we get in at halftime, and I tried to take a very reserved approach saying, you know, hey, do you guys have anything? No, I think we're good. Okay. I said, well, I have something. You know, we had 11 double whistles, and I'm not proud of that. And we got to figure out a way to not have that in the second half. And the official didn't absorb that information very well and started to explain each of the 11 double whistles. And we got to the third one, and I said, hey, I don't want to go tit for tat on these 11 double whistles. I can just tell you we shouldn't have had 11. And you need to get into your primary and stay in that primary. And and it's, you know, this is a really good basketball game, and and this is why. Here's why. It's not because I care who has the whistles, right, because I don't care about that. The reason is because when you extend outside your primary – your call accuracy depletes like exponentially. It's not a linear deal. So you are coming and looking at these plays and probably getting a bunch of them wrong and then also missing what's going on in your primary. So not only are you making the crew look bad from a officiating standpoint, but you're not being as good official as you can and these kids deserve better. So it, it's hard because I'm I'm upset. I'm upset about the way things are going, but if I broadcast that as the primary reason for the discussion, then we're not going to get anywhere. You have to put something behind it that a competent official can wrap his brain around and say, holy crap, you know, and, and why did that happen? I don't know, man. Maybe that guy had a bad day. You know, maybe he's carrying a little bit more baggage to the game with him than he usually does. Maybe that's how he always officiates. I don't know. But the second half went a lot differently and, and we didn't have that same type of interaction that we had in the first half. And um, the relationship with that official, it didn't pan out being very, very good one, you know, but um, sometimes that's the way that it goes, you know, and, and it's hard. You don't have a lot of time at halftime to make major adjustments like that. And I would consider that a major adjustment. I also consider that a major anomaly for a, for a half to have that, that situation. So, you know, words were were not minced at that point, but they had to be said. So, you're going to run into those situations. Hopefully, they're not too frequent, where where you just butt heads with somebody else and it, it causes a negative impact on the game. But one thing that's important is all that happened behind closed doors and it stayed in that locker room um, for the most part. And and that that needs to happen to to refrain from you know embarrassment. And things of that nature. So,
2: this is Matt Kearns, and I'm honored and proud that PQ2 LLC is sponsoring my very good friend and former co official Mark Fralick and the high school basketball referee podcast. I love plastics manufacturing and making things happen in the world of engineering, resin distribution, and compounding. But come on, there's nothing like game night, a packed gym. The place is rocking and we leave the floor knowing our crew gave the players and coaches our best, right? I truly hope you enjoy these podcasts and thank you for your continued support of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast and PQ2 LLC. Tonight's tip, nobody came to see us officiate, so make sure the kids are the stars on game night.
0: We begin our fourth quarter with just a variety of questions. And uh, f- a few of these are you, you are now in um, year number 19 or around, around that time, around that era. But uh, what's what's the scariest thing or the weirdest thing that's happened to you on the court?
1: Oh, cool. so uh, I had a, it was a varsity game. It was in uh, Columbiana County and a kid took a charge and uh, hit his head on the floor mm. and it was a, you know, super clean play. You know, it wasn't like somebody bulldozed them over. It was a, a pretty routine routine charge on a, on an offside drive to the basket. And, a, and a kid kind of went into some seizure type stuff. Wow. And, uh, this was before the concussion training. You know, it was earlier on in my career and, and that was, it was terrifying. It mm-hmm. really was. You just want the best for the kid at that point. Um, and, and I had very, very minimal knowledge about how to handle that situation but i mean we were worried about you know instantaneously worried about about the young man and and then it's you know it looked like he he may be trying to clamp down his mouth and we were worried about him biting his tongue and you know that that was really scary really super scary and i haven't really had anything like that since you know, thank God, but that was the scariest point for me without question.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that is definitely scary. I'm amazed of all the stories, you know, I ask that question a lot. I'm just amazed at all the stories that people have to go through and things uh, with games. It's uh, uh, some of the, some of the things are pretty, um, you can tell that it sticks with you, um, your entire career, but um, uh, talk a little, you know, this, this podcast so far, we've talked about mentoring. We've talked about communications. We've talked about uh, life happenings, um, dealing with other people. How does officiating help you in your professional and your personal life?
1: Well, it it provides a release in a, in a tie to a, a sport that I can't play anymore at the level that I used to play at. And I actually, I don't play anymore at all. Um, but I, I don't ever want to disconnect from basketball completely and watching it on TV just doesn't get it for me at this point. So, um, you know, we all have the rigors of life, and I and I say we carry this bag of of crap around with us, and sometimes that bag weighs an ounce, and sometimes that feels like it weighs a million pounds, you know. But <laughs> when I true. walk into that gym, I leave the bag in the car, and I just feel like it's a, an escape for a couple of hours to go out there and, and run around and be involved in a game that I love most of the time with people who I like to be around um, and, and doing something that I've grown to really enjoy. And officiating, you know, it... it you have, yeah. You know, I can't say you have to. I, I don't. I couldn't do it. It's, yeah. You don't get paid enough to do it without the enjoyment for me, right? It would just add to that bag of crap at that point if, if, if I didn't enjoy it. So, um, for me, it's like a reset. You know, every night that I'm able to go out there and officiate, um, it's a reset on the day, and and it helps me attack the next day with with more freedom um, in my conscience and and less less than that bag that was on my back, you know, two and a half hours prior to, to stepping on that court.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and you talked a little bit about um, you have kids that you're um, taking to camps and stuff now. Um, talk a little bit about family life and how you've been able to balance that life between officiating life and your home life.
1: Yeah, so that that's a great question, and it, it's evolved substantially for me. So I, I, I was – I officiated before i got married and um made it clear to to my fiance at the time that officiating was going to be part of my life and she bought into that and officiated up through having having children and then you know at some point i think when uh, my second child was born caleb uh i just decided to stop doing girls games and and the only reason for that that i drew that line was it, it just made it easier Um, you know, boys play on Tuesdays and Fridays and girls play every freaking day. So we, uh, (laughs) we kind of scaled my schedule back to Tuesdays, Fridays and, and every other Saturday. So I was doing five games every two weeks instead of 12 games, every two weeks, um, and made that adjustment there. And then, you know, kind of went through a, a pretty substantial amount of life. And unfortunately two, three, three years ago, I got divorced and uh, made another major change i went to bill x camp and and started made his staff and started to officiate college and then with my my parenting plan i have my children 50 percent of the time um one week at a time every other week so when i have my children i don't referee at all um but now i i do girls games again in high school occasionally not very often but on the days where I don't have my kids, I, I'm open to officiate for anybody, anywhere, um, high school and college. And then when I have my kids, I don't officiate at all. So it, it's really evolved for me um, based on my family situation, which has always come first. Um, and, you know, fortunate to have the flexibility um, to continue to make both work.
0: As you've heard in this podcast many times, many officials say that the relationships within the community of basketball officials is a huge reason why they take um, the floor each and every game year after year. PQ2 LLC, they bring that same passion that you have in the locker room to every client relationship they've built over the years. PQ2 is proud to be the thermoplastics resins company that dares to be different. Call Matt Kearns at 330 888 9448 and ask, What makes PQ2 LLC different? And we begin the post game. We just have a couple of sections left now. In the post game, uh, we want to talk a little bit about how fun it is to be around our officiating brethren. And, and you talked about that throughout the podcast, but a lot of times we get to drive to and from uh, the games with each other and, and maybe have a post game destination. Talk a little bit about how um, that's a big part of why you continue to officiate.
1: Yeah, that's a huge part. Um, and, and when I started, you know, there were 45 or 50 guys in, in the Mahoning County, Trumbull County area that were getting together on every Friday night and sometimes on Saturdays too. And and that started to wane as, as kind of that generation of officials um, retired and stopped doing it. And then, you know, the, the group got smaller for me, but I was able to kind of build a crew and then we work, you know, 15 games or, or 19 games together a year, and and do exactly what you're talking about. You know, talk about life, talk about officiating, talk about family. You know, stop and have some food after Friday night games on the way home. Bring bring wives and significant others into that mix, and, and celebrate Valentine's Day together, and 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 have a, a fall fish fry and things like that. So, and that stuff that doesn't go away. You know, the, that group of people. You know what. Uh, one third of us doesn't officiate anymore the the second third is is kind of thinking about stopping but we still get together we still call each other we still talk about stuff um officiating related and and otherwise and uh you know i miss that part i miss how it was 20 years ago and and uh starting to get back now to riding the games with with other people um with the pandemic pandemic subsiding and and it's uh it's a big part of it for me. It always has been, and it always will be. I really enjoy that piece. It's important.
0: Okay, so the, let me ask you this. The game's over, okay, and and you're you're frustrated. It was a rough game, okay, and, and we all know we've had games like that, and that can make a frustrating drive home for sure. Um, you might be an hour away from home or maybe a half hour away from home. What can other officials do, or maybe what have you done to um, – handle those situations like that do you make phone calls on the way home or do you what do you do personally
2: yeah yeah
1: i do but um i i try to get away from it as far as i can at that point so i'll call my dad and talk about something non that has nothing to do with that game um you know i'll call my mom i'll call my brother I, i don't just call some random person i call somebody in my inner group you know a good friend of mine um not, not the person I'm going home to, somebody other than that, and just talk about something totally unrelated. You know, I'll call my boss and talk about something that happened at work that I wanted to hash out. I just try to get as far away from it as possible um, because I personally am able to sift through things better when when I move the emotional lens from it. and And the quicker that I can do that, the better off I am because the, the content of that game is still fresh. So I want the content to be as fresh as possible, but I want that, you know, whatever emotion, anxiety or, or frustration, I want that to be gone so that I can really analyze what happened um, accurately and fairly and get better from it or 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 have conversations with my, my crew members the next day. You know, I, I just – you have that immediate locker room kind of discussion, and then I just want to get as far away from it as I can, um, let it marinate, let the emotion and the, and the tension kind of boil off, and then address it calmly um, soon, you know, the next day, but um,
2: without that piece of it. When a coach or player acknowledge your effort at the end of a contest, it can make the difference between a fun ride home or one where you're questioning every call you made in total silence. In business, it's no different when the customer values your performance and takes the time to let you know. Visit www.pq-2.com forward slash about to read customer testimonials and then call us at 330-888-9448 to discuss your next plastic application needs. Never ride home wondering if you made the right call.
0: And here we are, the final segment of the podcast called Five Quick Decisions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Best food you've ever had at a basketball game? Chick-fil-A. At the game? Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are some places that have Chick-fil-A sandwiches in their... uh... In wow. the concession stands, awesome. I never pass one, I never pass up on one of those.
0: Uh, most embarrassing moment in officiating.
1: We shot a free throw from the volleyball line. That's about sixteen inches in front of the free throw line, and got caught by the head coach.
2: <laughs> what?
1: Yeah, there's two lines. <laughs> yeah. There was some some stuff going on, and I was trying to talk to the coach. I was the I was the trail the C was talking to one of the players that were involved. we were trying to defuse the situation and in the lead, just the shooter stepped up by mistake to, a, to a line in front of the free throw line and the, the lead bounced on the ball and he took a shot. And uh, as I'm talking to the coach, he said, Hey, do you know what's going on right now? And I said, yeah, we're, we're trying to defuse the situation. He goes, actually, no, their player is shooting a free throw. You know, 18 inches close to the basket than he's supposed to. So oh, no. that, that wasn't a whole bunch of fun. That was not fun. But that was embarrassing.
0: Oh, man. Um,
1: pack jam, close, close game, fourth quarter. You know, of
0: course. Recall the funniest thing or something that you'll always remember about one officiating partner. This is where you get to sell out some of your friends.
1: Yeah, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. So I learned this and I use this a lot. And and you have to kind of be comfortable. And I I know who I got it from, but I'm not going to sell them out. But I use it all the time. So when somebody's kind of asking me a bunch of questions about a call, usually a call I didn't make like, oh, that's got to be an and one. It's usually on that scenario. that's That's an and one. And I just say, not tonight! (laughs) I just keep running. (laughs) It usually gets a chuckle. It usually gets a chuckle out of the coach.
0: Question four. From walking on the basketball floor to walking off the basketball floor at each game, what's your favorite part of officiating?
1: I just really like being involved with the game of basketball. I feel like I'm part of the game. Um, And maybe that's cliche. I'm not sure, but I really enjoy being involved with the game of basketball and and this is just a great avenue for me personally um, t- to stay involved at a relatively high level and, and enjoy the competition and enjoy, um, you know, the-, the strategic things that the coaches do and, and-, and to-, to just be a part of that. And that- that's my favorite thing is to be part of the game of basketball still.
0: And the last question, uh, recall if you would, the funniest thing a player, coach, or a fan has ever said to you?
1: Yeah, so I was a younger official, and I was refereeing. I'm actually going to give you two. I was refereeing at Mount Union in, in one of the classics, and, and uh, I had never met Con Rockhold before, and he walked into the gym after the game, or he walked into the locker room after the game, and he knew the other two officials that I was working, working with, and he, he's always been a man of few words with me, and uh, he walked up to me and he's and I was sitting down and just kind of in my own corner. Everybody else was conversing. There were five or six, seven people in there. I don't know. He, he came over. He said, "Keith Moyer, right?" And I, I said, "Yeah." He goes pleasantly not disappointed <laughs> and he turned around and walked out <laughs> I, I don't know i didn't really know how to take that but i was laughing for a while and I, everybody has the same reaction so he's uh he's a little gruff but uh he's been great for my career he's been super helpful with everything he's done for me and then the other thing i had a fan one night i i was in a hurry and I had shaved and, and I, I grew like this tornado of a colic on my neck and I was in a hurry and I shaved it in the locker room uh, with a razor that I picked up at the gas station and I, I get out on the court and in the middle of the second quarter, the student section like, man, this guy can't officiate. He can't even get a haircut. Look at his, look at his hair, like the back of his hair. It's on a <laughs> slant. What the heck is that? And those kids rode me the whole night because, and they didn't know it, but because I grew my, my neck in the mirror in the locker room before i came out i should have just left
0: it the way it was but man they rode me hard uh hey that's fun though that you know anytime fun interaction with the fans uh, happens it's always a good thing it's better than the alternative that's for sure yeah i agree <laughs> yeah uh keith this has been great thanks to, for taking the time to uh, be a part of the high school basketball referee podcast best of luck this season and uh, hopefully we'll see you sometime around around the state
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me, and I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it.